It gives me great pleasure this afternoon to uh, introduce Elizabeth Smiley to you. And we're delighted you could come and be with us, Elizabeth. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. It is so good to be with you here. Um, wow, this is my very first big church vineyard experience. Um, you might be wondering how a Canadian um, living in the Netherlands, as you read in the little brochure, ever ended up with a hard, an impossible to pronounce Flemish last name. Um, and, um, and so how that happened is uh, 22 years ago, I went to um, Amsterdam um, or to the Netherlands with the idea of uh, church planting. Um, which I never ended up doing, but I did work, work with a, another church planting organization. And in the process of being there, I met my um, Amsterdamer husband, whose uh, father had moved up from the Flemish part of, um, of the Netherlands to Amsterdam years and years ago to find work. And therefore, my name is, if impossible to pronounce, Elizabeth de Smala. And... Um, and so here I am, after 22 years of being just across the channel, the sea, um, forging kind of my way um, in life, in ministry, where, where am I really called to serve in terms of what area of ministry? The ministry part was never the question, but where is like my, my true um, unique calling? Where can I truly feel like I've landed, I'm alive, I'm free, I'm offering what I'm uniquely called to do? And it's been a long and rather arduous journey for me in which I have spent many years at what Janet, Janet Hackberg in a journey, critical journey calls the wall. So I feel like I can speak about the wall from like deep in my gut. And um, though my journey has been long, the times at the wall have been arduous. I, am, I can say, as a bit of an evangelist of the wall, <laughs> that there is light on the other side where life is good, where you go, oh, wow, this is what it looks like to know Jesus intimately and to be able to feel like my heart is enlarged and I can live with that enlarged heart reflecting Jesus to the world. And of course, imperfectly, but in, in such a transformed way from what my life looked like 22 years ago. Um, and so... Um, I am just so honored to be invited into this journey. Thank you, Chris, and thank you to the 12 um, senior leaders, participants who I get to train this year. Um, and mo almost all of you, I think, are here in the room. This is a, um, one of our uh, core readings in the spiritual director training. Um, and it is one that when our students read it, they go, oh, wow that gave words to my experience. Uh, now I understand what I have gone through up till now. And it seems so hope-giving. And, um, and so I, when I had mentioned this book to Chris when we sat together about 10 months ago, and he and Maggie just picked up on it, and I think Chris started to recommend this to all the senior leaders he came in touch with. And I, I thought, well, isn't this a great seminar topic for today? If you go away from today with only one thing, this is what it would be. When doubts arise and you start asking questions that you have never dreamt that you would be asking, you don't need to panic. Um, when the spiritual practices that have served you well don't seem to be working anymore. You are not losing your faith. When God seems absent, when life just seems 
dry and you go, am I going crazy? I want you to know this is the normal Christian life. This is to be expected in our Christian life. And in our streams of spirituality, um, we don't like to admit that or acknowledge that because aren't there supposed to be answers for everything? Aren't there supposed to be solutions for everything? And so we can panic when we hit the wall. So I just want to say to you, I'm so glad that so many of you are not faint-hearted, as I have written in my summary, that this is not for the faint-hearted, because we're going to talk about some of the stuff, tough stuff of life today. But I really, really hope that you can go away that whether you're like right at this a wall that feels so hard and painful right now, that you will go away with some hope. Um, so, um, there we are. Okay, orient myself. Um, so, um, what I'd like you to do is, to, what I'd like to do with you is, first of all, just give you an overview of, G, of this model that Janet Hagberg introduces in the crit critical journey. It's one model of many. There's many models for how we can form spiritually. But this one seems to really ring true. And I want to tell you too, it's not um, uh, um, stages of faith that we can race through. It's not like this is a, um, this is a contest and if we just work hard enough we will we'll, we'll manage our way through to the next stage. In fact it's only God that can move us from one stage to another. Oftentimes on invitation and an invitation that can feel kind of confronting and maybe scary. Um, but it's each one of these stages which sort of inhabits the plate the space in between those lines is a place where we inhabit. And at any time in our lives, we'll have one stage that feels like home. And we might move a little bit, we might catch a, a little vision of the next one, a little taste of it, and then before we know it, we might just end back in home again. And there is no rushing, there's just like, this is probably better like learning this later in life where we can go, oh, I recognize it, rather than, oh, this is something for me to work towards. Or for those of us who are mentoring or accompanying other people to say, oh, how do I get, how do I move someone from one stage to another? I just hope that you can see, like, this is where we sort of inhabit these places. So, um, the first three steps or stages are pretty well known to us. And they're pretty kind of like, this is what we do as church leaders. Stage one, recognition of God, where some sense of need or awareness of God initiates a search and someone um, opens up to the fact that God exists, and Jesus is their Savior, and they, they come into that with, it's like a season of exploration and of discovery, and, and some experiences like, oh, wow, awe and joy and gratitude for what they have received, and um, so we know about that well, so I'm, I'm going to kind of move quickly through the, these first couple stages. And then there's kind of this natural movement into stage two, the life of discipleship. And in this stage, faith becomes about learning. So we tend to attach ourselves to leaders who can teach us what this, what this new faith is all about. We want to emulate them. Um, we find our meaning primarily from belonging. Oh, wow, this is my tribe, and I want to learn from them and become like them. And oftentimes, we'll find our answers in our leader or in a movement or a belief system or cause. And, and those answers give us a sense of security 
in our faith. In this stage, we also kind of have a sense of rightness. Oh, wow, I've discovered this, and we've got it right, and maybe they've got it wrong. <laughs> and we can kind of have this, this like tension there of becoming rigid because this just feels so good, what we have discovered and we've, we've gotten to know as our home. Well, and then there's also then, of course, a natural movement, which we as church leaders just love to see. This sense of going, wow, I've received so much, um, and, and so I want to give back. And I'm, I'm just excited to be a part of the king's business and to join with these others that are my tribe to do this faith thing together. And so this is about discovering, oh, what can I do? What are my gifts? Uh, developing skills, becoming leaders, taking on responsibility. And again, this, this stage holds a whole lot of joy, a whole lot of satisfaction of fulfilling a, a calling that's being discovered and unfolding. Um, and so we raise up leaders and they roll up their sleeves and they dedicate themselves to kingdom work. Our ministries develop and multiply. Our church thrives and multiplies. And we rejoice that there's a little bit of heaven on earth. The church needs stage three people and probably would, couldn't exist without them. It's a good place to be. But something happens inevitably in stage three. And I was just upstairs in Andy Smith's spiritual formation in the church uh, seminar, and he talked about, you know, he sees this three-year cycle, you know, of of joining and enthusiasm and serving, and then year three, oh, what's happening here? Oh, maybe I'd be happy elsewhere. Well, one of the things is some people, actually, who are, who are we call, might call switchers, who are constantly hopping from one church to another, they might not ever get out of stage two. They might sort of tip their toes in stage three, and then something is like, nah, I think I want to go and, and belong somewhere else. But there's something, there's, this, there's a movement that happens in, in stage three that is pretty inevitable. I know my husband, um, after about a year of him being involved in church, said to me, wow, I never needed a time management course before I became a Christian. <laughs> we get weary in all of our service. There's other things that happen that kind of hit us off, take us off guard. Maybe it's been a life crisis that sort of kicks off us off of our feet. Maybe just circumstances in life that 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 have hit us hard. It may be our own failure or mistakes or, or just other things that, that just are tough that we hit up against. It may be that a leader has, has fallen and so disheartened us. Or it may be that there's just stuff in us that God is wanting to to develop that formational part that that needs his touch that needs his care and that deep refining work and and perhaps and at least in my journey you know i was so willing to serve i was so dedicated to jesus and to the cause of christ that people said oh sure come with us and those deep Areas that were broken inside and never fully tended to. 
started hitting me in the face. Now, Janet Hacksburg talks that in, about in each of these stages, there's a place where we get caged. And I won't go into this well, but, but to, just to say that this place of being caged is one, a time of tension where things just don't, things aren't quite right. Um, this sense of well-being and satisfaction isn't there anymore. Um, and our awareness of that can act as um, an inner catalyst to learn, to turn to God, to be formed. And that process may enable us to move forward to the next stage. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about my, um, um, my journey. Um, so um, my first sense of being caged probably came about seven, eight years into um, full-time Christian ministry. Um, my stuff that I was facing centered around shame, identity, and performance. And we know these are really, really common themes, especially thanks to Brené Brown and her work on shame and identity and perfection. Um, so what kind of caught me at the heart of it was the sense of, you know, what, how well I do and what people think of me determines my sense of worth. Um, and I know that those are common themes of many. There's, my story is a lot wider than that, but, but those were kind of the deep, deep things that were hard to really um, get to the bottom of. And so uh, let me tell you a little bit of my story. So I was serving in a ministry setting that I had changed. It wasn't a, a really good fit for me. Um, but I had this really strong sense of loyalty and responsibility and conviction that what we were doing was important. And so that sort of masked this sense of awareness of maybe this isn't really where I should be. Um, it was a really performance-driven ministry, and that just fed into what had been fed into me my whole life long, that I needed to uh, do really, really well in order to feel good about myself and to, uh, yeah, to prove my worth. Um, so I found myself, I worked so very, very hard, all for the king, of course. And I, I'd often say to the students that I was working with at the time, you know, like, don't get too caught up with the... Uh, uh, doing the king's business, that you um, lose sight of the king. Um, so I knew that in my head, but um, I, but I just filled my life so much with service, and kind of unaware, proving myself um, that I was just not very self-aware. So my schedule was totally unrealistic. Um, we went from one project to the other, one responsibility to another. And even while I was kind of being driven to the edge, I soldiered on. And I became dangerously tired. And in that dangerously tired state, some nasty stuff kind of started to surface. Deep frustration, deep dissatisfaction with myself, my leaders, my organization, some resentment that kicked in, not just to my leaders, but also to God. Questions a little bit like, wow, God, I've been working so hard for you. So where are you in providing for me and my needs? Well, my performance suffered, and I landed in a crisis. And an uh, initiative that I was, had been working hard for for a few years kind of was pulled out from underneath me, and I was crushed. And I had enough self-awareness to go, I need a sabbatical. 
And so I pulled out of ministry and I went to seminary and I had a year where a lot of self-reflection was required of me. I also took a spiritual formation course, which was one of those things that absolutely changed my life. And that extended time of self-reflection offered me my first little foray into stage four, which is the inward journey. Um, Now, something of my story probably rings true with you, although I'm sure yours is completely unique to mine. Um, But when we find ourselves in this place, in this place that feels very much like a wall, um, we're probably going to do one of four things. And so let me kind of name those things. We're going to maybe double down, try harder, work harder. Oh, maybe if I work harder, if I arrange my life a little bit better, maybe I can get a handle on this, this sense of tension and it's not right feeling. Or maybe this book will help, or maybe this conference will help. Um, anything maybe that I can do to, to, that I can make things different. I can find the solution. A second thing is we might kind of pretend that this experience of things aren't right just isn't true. Um, I've been a master at avoidance for much of my life. And so we, we like those coping mechanisms, whichever are yours, kind of come to the fore and you just find a way to get around this big boulder that's before you. And, and yet in doing that, probably something dies within you and you start going through the motions and maybe some cynicism starts to creep in. Um, maybe you keep doing your work, but you've lost your heart. Well, a third thing is just to go, oh, screw it, I'm done. <laughs> I can't do this. I don't know how to do it differently. It's too painful. And we walk away. And I'm sure you've seen many leaders who have done that. And maybe there's been times when that's been your inclination too, because you just didn't know what else to do. And there's a fourth option, and that is to seek help. And this cry for help is one then where, you know, you know very well, you guys are great at doing pastoral care. Um, But the cry to say, ah, something's wrong And in my work, so many times people come to me and go, I just don't get it because I'm just doing everything that I did before. Why isn't it working anymore? And and so this this cry for help is, is one that just is so essential because we can't fix it simply by shifting things around and deciding we're going to do things differently. We really do need some help. So oftentimes, people who are, are in this place will seek out spiritual direction, will seek out a mentor, will seek out therapy and go help. And that's just the greatest thing to do, that we don't isolate ourselves in it. So we go into um, stage four, which is the inward journey. And here, faith is about rediscovering God while we rediscover ourselves. In stage four, we're invited inward, the place where we can face ourselves and all the stuff that is broken and out of whack within us. But we don't face ourselves alone. We go with our loving, grace-filled God who comes 
with us, with his arm around us, or with us in his arms, and says, let's look together at what's painful. In this place, this home stage of stage four, it's a place where we're invited into intimacy with God, where God reveals himself to us, probably in ways we could never have imagined before. Um, we, we sang this morning, and I think last night, you know, I've been restored to the love of God, and I found it's just begun. I thought, that's so what it means to be on the inward journey. We are restored, and we will continue to be restored, and we'll explore the depths of the love of God, reaching into the depths of what is broken and unwhole within us. So it is a journey, a wonderful journey, of discovering the depth and the breadth of God's love and applying that to our lives so that we can learn not just knowing it. We sing it, and it so helps us. And when we sing and we worship and we say those words of God's great love for us, it, it, it's like it sinks down into our hearts, doesn't it? It's like, yes, we, we, oh, I need this afresh. I need it again. And stage four is about that. And then allowing it to go so deep in us that we're transformed so that we can begin to live as if it's really, really true. And that is actually stage five um, territory. But, it, but it's like the, the place of learning, the place of the refiner's fire of learning that, and that process is stage four. Um, so we're ushered to stay Four, stage four by a crisis. And it's, it could be a life crisis, a faith crisis. Um, and there we're invited to wrestle. And Lauren Winner in her book, Still, she tells this lovely little story of a girl who's about to get confirmed and she's about 12 years old and her pastor's her father's her pastor, and as she's preparing, she starts, starts to get cold feet, and she goes, oh my, like, like, Dad, I'm really not sure that I can promise to believe everything that I'm supposed to believe for the rest of my life. And her father responded to her and said, what you promise when you are confirmed is not that you will believe this forever, but that you will wrestle that this is the faith, this is the story that you will wrestle with forever. That's what you promise. And so in stage four, we are invited to wrestle. So we wrestle with our questions, those questions that we never thought we would, have, we would have asked, and all of a sudden they come up. So we're invited to wrestle with them, and grace helps us to release the need for certain answers and to grow in accepting mystery. Boy, we can't contain God. We're, stage four invites us to wrestle with our image of God, which when we actually like stop and look at it, we're like, okay, we've, we've kind of got this box. We've got this image of God that we figure we've got God figured out. And God just wants to go, oh, I'm so much bigger than your box. And maybe you've thought things about me that really aren't true about me. So let's wrestle together with this. And let's, let's deconstruct your image of me and, and reform your image of me. And so we allow that reshaping to happen. And we live into the discomfort of that. And we come out of it with, whoa, God, now I don't fully comprehend you. But, oh, 
I, I'm, I know you more. Um, we also wrestle with our wounds. And we grow in the courage to face them. Stage four is a journey of self-discovery that's a sacred journey. So we're drawn to face ourselves, to explore with God, with the grace and the love of God, looking at us and going, I know you're broken. And this isn't a quick fix, but we're going to look together and we're going to wrestle these things through together. And oh, I so want you to come out healed and whole. Transformation happens as God goes with us to take a long and loving look inside our souls. And this really is the stage where soul care is essential. Um, to meet, for instance, with a spiritual director monthly who, who is so like available in a non-judgmental way to listen month after month to the stories that pour out of a soul that feels safe, that feels like I can say whatever. This is why spiritual direction is always in a confidential environment. This is also where when you do this in the, in, within the vineyard, that you as a pastor will go outside of your church with someone who covenants with you to be completely this is sacred and confidential what you share. Because as we, as we journey with God in the weeks in between, and then as we come and we talk about what has come up, and we can start to make sense and start to, to see the movement of God that is deeply revealing more of himself to us and, and more of ourselves to us as we surrender more and it can be transformed um, one of um, my current students said last night as we were meeting I feel like I'm just going another layer deeper and another layer and another layer and it's like whoa these things that maybe seemed like they were they were a done deal up here I've got them figured out and yet our histories are so complex and our wounds go so deep. And, and as, as John talked this morning and as Debbie spoke last night, I thought, wow, there's such a thread of this, this everything that they said come, brings us to this place of going, yes, all of those things that we've carried in, that keep coming up and they come up at those places of distress and we kind of look at ourselves and go, whoa, was that me? I thought I was beyond this. I thought I was more mature. How could I have responded that way? Then we give God access to those things. And we talk them through with him. And with the help of a spiritual director, we can, we can, we can see, see more clearly God's work and his will. And we can release our will to his and transformation happens. <clears throat> I'm just looking at the clock and where I think we're doing good on time. Um, some point in stage four, we come up against what we call the wall. Actually, Janet in, in uh, this critical journey says it's actually a, really a part of stage four, but it feels so big that she gives it a whole chapter. We could talk long and hard about it. Um, so that's we're going to focus in on that now. So um, a wall. Um, I've lost a little bit my track. Yes, here we go. 
Um, so we, there's no determining when you hit a wall how long it will last, I hate to tell you. <laughs> you don't know how long you'll be, how long you'll be, or how often you'll be up against a wall. Um, and the bad news is there's no way to get around it. There's no way to tunnel under it. There's no way to climb over it. There's only one way to manage this wall, and that's to go through it. <laughs> and how we go through a wall is that we, we sort of like take one stone at a time out. And this is this work of self-reflection, the work of honestly um, stopping with what we've been confronted with and taking a long, hard, and loving look at it together with God and with others that are there to help us. Um, so um, just want to say, where is the wall located, actually? Um, because some models place it where I've put that squiggly line in between, like as sort of a doorway from stage three to stage four. Um, Hagsburg puts it in stage four, and I, yeah, and maybe sort of more towards five because it feels like it's more of a, it's a doorway, it can be a doorway towards stage five, or when we get through the wall, we actually see the light of stage five. Um, and, um, I've noticed a trend in my students, since this book is one of our, our core materials, that oftentimes my students will go, oh, yeah, I've been through a wall. I really recognize this wall experience. So, oh, and now things, I'm in a peaceful place, so I, I really must be in stage five now because I've been through a wall. And I've been kind of sh scratching my head on this and thinking, I, I'm not sure that because you've face something that feels like a wall, that you're necessarily in stage five, which is the outward journey and, and uh, the journey where, we'll get to those in a little while, but um, where you're free, more, much more free to minister in love unhindered from all the stuff that you, has been hindering you before. Um, and so I've, I've got a bit of a revelation um, last year, uh, when I was actually doing some teaching on the dark night of the soul, and um, and so I'm I'm um, think there are two, and I think there's really something of um, what uh, 15th, 16th century Spanish mystic John of the Cross. Um, wrote some really mysterious uh, uh, books on the dark night of the soul, and mostly I've learned about the dark night of soul from people who've sorted through his stuff and, and talked about it, because it's quite, quite um, hard to handle. Um, but there's one person in particular that really has brought some great clarity to me, and that is um, John Coe of Biola University, and he has a couple of lectures um, on two different um, types of the dark night. And I thought, wow, these really make a whole lot of sense to me in terms of there being two walls. One, a stage three wall, and one, a stage four wall. So I just want to bring you into a little bit of some of the insights that I've gotten from him that I think directly apply to understanding our wall experience. So, um, Dark night, we think, oh, blackness, no light can't be seen. Actually, the word that John of the Cross uses in Latin, it's, oh, no, this is probably Spanish, oscura, um, means mean, where we get obscure. Um, and so if we talk about a dark night of the experience, we often will go, oh, yeah, God felt absent. Um, God was not there for me. But actually, um, it, for John of the Cross, in the dark night, God is very present, and he's profoundly at work. It's just that it's more like 
obscure. It's hard to discern. It's hard to see at the time. So it feels like God is absent. And it's the same at the wall. When we kind of hit up against like, well, God, where are you? Um, how come <laughs> you don't answer my prayers? Um, all these things. It feels like God has left the room. And yet, that's the time when God is actually like so uniquely present and ready to and wanting to work in us. So I get this from John Coe in, in a nutshell. Say in our early Christian experience, when we're experiencing awe and joy and, oh, isn't this wonderful to be a Christian? We experience easily the presence of God. And God often makes himself very, very abundantly present to us. Um, and it's like following Jesus feels just great. And that's the way that God intended. Yet, as we mature, um, our heart is still driven by that same motivation toward pleasure. And it's like God needs to wean us from that drive, that thirst towards doing something and being satisfied by pleasure. And so um, here's what John the Cross says. We love, we love God for pleasure's sake. We love God for the good feeling that it gives us. And the Spirit is committed to moving us to maturity where we will love God for love's sake. Oh, we will love God for God's sake. Not for the things that God will do for us. Not for the pleasure that he'll give us. And so we kind of need to be weaned off of that. Oh, I'm serving you, God. And oh, and it feels so great. And so he goes, okay, I'm going to do a work in you. And it's not going to feel comfortable. And so it doesn't feel pleasurable anymore. And we feel like, huh, what's happened? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with this church? What's wrong with my Christian experience? And yet, God is going, oh, you're right where I want you. So that's the place where God purges us of our habit of measuring the presence and the favor of God by our good spiritual feelings that we have. Um, there's another thing that God, a deep work that God does in this first dark night, which he calls the dark night of the senses. And that is that we think it was our diligence that has done it. We can kind of, oh, I really did well at that, didn't I? Oh boy, I'm really becoming a good leader. Oh, I remember with great humility at one point early in my Christian life when I read John 15, Jesus saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. And I thought, that can't be. I can do a whole lot of myself, all on my own. I'm pretty skilled. I'm pretty able. Jesus, what did you mean by this? Well, God had some necessary work to do in me. So, this wall um, is there for our maturity, to wean us, to move us to maturity. Um, and so um, if we will take this actually invitation that facing this discomfort and whatever tensions the wall is giving us and say, oh, okay, I'm ready. I'm going to come with humility. I'm willing to look within and face the stuff that might be coming up in me. Um, then God is happy to do that work. So then there's another kind of dark night, and it's a little bit more mature dark night. And I thought, this really fits with the stage four wall. So the purpose of this is this a deeper work a profound purging 
of our hearts. That thing of like going, oh, wow, there's another layer still underneath. Oh, wow, God, how deep are we going to go? And that's why we, we, we can't ever say how long this, this experience is going to last. And, and it probably won't last intensely forever because we do some work and, and then it's like, oh, okay, all right. And we, we go on and, and we carry on with our lives and, and something else happens. And it's like, oh, wow, okay, there's deeper work. Okay, for the, for the love of God and for, for learning to love him for his sake. I'm willing to do this. Um, and so, um, this is when John was referring this morning to undoing the, that, the, 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 um, the, the effects of the curse in our lives. This is where God really says, okay, I have more than this for you. So, Will you stay with me? And will you be willing to look at your unique stuff, your unique wounds, your unique um, behaviors and coping mechanisms and, and uh, stuff that feels confronting and not Christ-like? And we'll do this work together in love and with grace. A time of purging the ego, um, what J um, Tozer calls the self-sins in the pursuit of God, where we willingly just surrender our wills to God and say, God, whatever you want. This is a time of just going, oh God, I need you above all else. Above all of the activities that I need to do today, all those deadlines that are facing me, all that, those crises that I just can't get, and going, oh God, I need you above all else, so let me sit with you and create space to open my heart to you so that I can just be with you and you can assure me of your love of your grace, of your desire for intimacy with me. And out of that space comes a sense of empowerment where we can, we can face all those things. When Debbie talked the very first night about, you know, how have we done this for, oh, sorry, this was the leader's night that I was here. How have we done this for two years led, leading this church and leading this ministry. And she said, we have learned to say no so much more often than we ever dreamt we would because they're living out more and more out of that place of centered surrender to God. And this is where the wall is inviting us to. It is hard and I'd like to share a little bit of my wall story with you. Um, and maybe you'll identify with some of this, but also I want to give you, I hope this will give you hope with whatever you might be facing. Nineteen years ago, I was early in my marriage, and I faced my biggest crisis with unanswered prayer ever that I had faced. I had never imagined that I would be asking questions like, does God really care? Is God involved in the intimate details of our lives? Can I even pray anymore? At that point, I had been in full-time ministry for 15 years, and those were questions that just had never, ever even crossed my mind before. The reason was that um, I had learned that I was, my second pregnancy had not developed. And um, this was a pregnancy that even before we conceived, every night, the last thing we did was pray for our, our child. And it was miscarriage number two for us. So we really were full of hope and faith, and they, it was shattered. And there was something deep in my soul that was just shattered. And I thought, oh, God, I don't, I don't know how to go forward with this. 
Um, and so I found that I didn't know how to pray. And um, I didn't know how to read the Bible anymore because every, t- every page, it just seemed like it was so confronting and I could only cry. And so the only thing that I could do was I had a particular chair where I would meet with God and I went faithfully and I sat. And it seemed like God was so absent. But I just kept on going. And my words were, to whom else can I go? Just like Peter. So here I am, God. And after a while... I started to feel this quiet presence that I wasn't alone. And it felt like, that's enough. And then I had the courage to begin to read the word again. And it wasn't long before God spoke to me very, very hopefully from, um, from Isaiah 61 of um, oak, the, the promise of those who grieve, they will be like oaks of righteousness. And I thought, an oak of righteousness. God, if you can use my pain to make me like this strong oak that others can come and rest under, then okay, that is hope-giving to me. And so um, I re-entered the world of faith and believing in prayer. And uh, with a little bit of my my image of God shaken and being reshaped. And, and uh, a year later, um, I experienced miscarriage number three. And the journey was arduous. Um, a year later, miscarriage number four. And then loss number five of it's time to embrace joy instead of loss. And, and so I'm not going to be a mom. And there was more. Around that time, I had changed my ministry that I loved but was pretty, pretty demanding. And I, I uh, had moved into another ministry that wasn't at all a fit. And then my management changed and I was in a new role and I hated it. And uh, yet I was an English-speaking Canadian transplant that didn't, whose all my gifts were language-based. And I thought, what am I doing in this country? But I happened to be married to a Dutchman and we were there. And I went into this time of God, well, have I lost my call? What am I doing here? And God, what on earth are you doing? And so my guiding image in this was that I felt like I had followed this path into um, motherhood. It was like God had led us here. And it was a path that led us into the woods. And once I got into the dark depths of the woods, the path stopped. And I was left wandering around. And I just couldn't find my way out of the woods. And this woods experience lasted for a long, long time. Like four years of searching. And finally, there was a time when God said to me, um, I'm sure I'm not at all here. When God said to me, Elizabeth, in real life, you like woods. You love discovering them. So how about if you decide that you're going to stop resisting this woods and you start looking around and seeing what there might be here for you? Well, that woods was my wall. And remember, you can't get over it. You can't get under it. You can't go around it. You've got to go through it. And so I began doing a lot of interior work, a lot of reflection, reading, journaling what I was reading, learning, going, God, here I am. You know that I am dedicated to you. You know that I'm, my devotion, my heart is yours, but what on earth are you doing with my life? And, And where are we going to go? And one day, something shifted. It was like I took one of those stones of my wall in my hands, and I looked at it, 
And I saw what had, been, had caught me. I saw that I'd been caught up in a blame game of others, of this boss that was making life so difficult for me, of circumstances of my life and how they had caught me and they weren't the way that they should be. And I looked myself straight in the eye. And I decided to face my own share of responsibility for how miserable I had become. And I know it wasn't my fault. It wasn't like God was pointing a finger at me. It was like him in his love saying, Oh, Elizabeth, there's been things that have been tripping you up your whole life long. And right now, because the goings got tough, it's like right here in your face. And he's like, can we just, just do heart surgery together? And I need your help with me. And so my prayer began to change. And I was like, Lord, oh, what is it that you want me to learn? Oh, Lord, what is it that you desire to transform in me? Let me be like warm clay in your hands that you can make into whatever vessel you want to make. And the Lord took me at my word and my learning came easier and change began to happen within me and in my circumstances. And about five years later, after that first sense of, oh, what is this that I'm facing? I began to see the light. And I could see something in stage five. And I was introduced to a little bit of taste of what the outer life, the outer journey would be like. Now, I don't want to overwhelm you but it would be about five more years or so before I could really call stage five my home stage. There was so much work to do. But remember, this, this cycle, this stage is a faith. It's not a race to be run. It's something that helps us to understand our lives as we lived it. And so stage four is a wonderful place of intimacy, of learning, of also of awe. In some ways, it feels like stage one as we learn things and we just go, oh, wow, Lord, thank you for showing me that. Thank you for that piece of freedom that you have bought me. Thank you for what you have done in me that makes me so much different than what I was before. And then we just live there for a while and we realize that there's still so much more to do and we are almost done our hour so I just want to there's a few more things I want to share um, one key thing in the movement from stage four to five besides this wall is um, four things um, awareness of ourselves of our circumstances, opening up time and space and a heart to be aware, forgiveness of ourselves, of others, of circumstances, and if I may say this without sounding blasphemous, of God, acceptance of circumstances and of what is, and love. Love for God, love for self, love for others. That differs profoundly from what we have known before. It's love that heals lives, calms egos, soothes wills into submission, and lets God direct our lives. The mystics speak of an enlarged heart. An enlarged heart that is secure, that's filled up that's filled up with God each day so that we then can go into our days to those that need us, to those that would pull at us, to those who would punch at us and allows us to give without needing 
to receive, that allows us to give freely because we have received, because we have been filled up, and we can flow from that. And that is what stage five is all about. Faith in this stage is surrendering to God. There's just this renewed sense of, oh, wow, I am fully accepted. I am so deeply loved by God. And my love for God knows there's no limits to how it can continue to grow. There's a sense of inner serenity and freedom that comes. A new sense of how we do life and horizontally because it's so empowered by how we do life vertically. There's a sharpened focus in ministry, an assurance of our unique vocation, and freedom from pressure without. And I say this so aware that I now call stage five my home, but I certainly don't experience these perfectly. Um, but I have to say with hope, and this is why I wanted to tell you my story of the wall, is that my vocation now is so satisfying. I can look back and I just can go, God, there was no known reason or rhyme for why I'm not a mom. And yet, you've made me an oak. And I am so thrilled to be able to, to live out this vocation that you have prepared for me and that we have forged together through that hard stuff of the wall. And so there is this invitation to say, there is more than this. Of all of the sense of struggle and trial and tensions and oh, do I have it in me to keep on going. There is this promise of God, an invitation to God to say, this is what I want for you. And I am so committed to you. I'm just going to stay with you, loving you through the hard stuff so that you can get to a place of living um, in this journey outward stage. And then there's a stage six of the life of love where faith is reflecting God. Oh boy. Where we are Christ-like in character. Where we are compassionate in how we live where we are able to live in holy detachment, in holy indifference, detached from everything but Christ, where we live in unbroken serenity. And maybe that feels a little bit like, wow, yeah, in heaven, that's what life will be like. But I do believe there are places of tasting that, and there's a continued invitation from God for us in that. So thank you. For being here and thank you for letting me share my story and I hope wherever you find yourself if you find yourself at the wall which I'm assuming there might be lots of resonance since you're so many of you are here may you be encouraged that there's that this is not the end of the story and that God dearly and passionately desires more for you would you pray with me? Our gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Lord, we need more of you. And Lord, you know where you have each one of us. You see the wounds. You see the brokenness. You see the things that you are so longing to bring um, to wholeness. And thank you that you don't abandon us even when we feel that you may have. 
and that facing the wall is a normal part of the Christian life and that it is an invitation. It holds an invitation from you. And so, Lord, wherever each one who is in this room finds themselves now, would you implant hope in their hearts? And would you meet them with grace? And would you provide companions for them who can journey with them as they look hard and lovingly inside with you? We thank you for who you are and for who you are to us, always and forever faithful. Amen. Thank you.